All right, great day to be at West Bowles. We are starting a new sermon series today entitled simply Seven, Everything You Need to Know in Seven Words. Let me try to explain what this is all about. How many of you are familiar with or have ever visited the website dummies.com? Any self-proclaimed dummies out there? Okay, I didn't expect to see a whole lot of hands out there, but a few. Uh, It's not exactly what you think or what it sounds like. Dummies.com is actually the website uh, associated with the Four Dummies book series. These are the iconic yellow and black books with the triangle head guy. How many of you are familiar with the Four Dummies books? There's a bunch of them out there, and uh, a lot of people have read them over the years. Uh, These books actually started back in 1991. First book came out was DOS for Dummies. DOS is a computer program. Uh, But these books really became uh, familiar, really popular, when Andy Rathborn wrote and released Windows for Dummies. That book still to this day is the best-selling computer book of all time. 15 million copies of Windows for Dummies. I don't know if that means Windows is for dummies or was made by dummies. But anyway, um, it has to be determined. So the four dummies books, they started off by focusing on technology and software, but they later branched out into a lot of other topics, uh, interesting areas. There's a lot of general interest titles that are out there. Uh, They have topics as diverse as acne for dummies. Uh, Yoga with weights for dummies, not just plain yoga. Uh, And my personal favorite, writing a romance novel for dummies. Because who of us hasn't wanted... Okay, sorry. There are literally 2,500 different four dummies books and 300 million books have been sold over the years. So if you raise your hand to go into dummies.com, you're in good company. Now, here's why I think those books are so successful, why they're so popular. All of us at one level or another want or prefer, or sometimes we even just need for things in life to be easy, easy to grasp and easy to understand. It could be computer programs or a workout routine. It could be how to clean up your face or how to get your romance novel published. We just want things to be simple and straightforward, as simple and as straightforward as possible. Because when things get overly complex, when they get overly complicated, we tend to lose interest, don't we? Maybe we feel like we're stupid or that we can't get it or we're just mad about the whole thing. But for one reason or another, when things get complicated, we tend to back away from them. Take, for example, toothpaste. Standing in the toothpaste aisle at the grocery store is overwhelming to me. Anybody else feel the same way? All those little blue and green dentist-approved boxes just staring at you. They make so many different claims. They all promise something so different. I mean, fluoride bursts, whitening agents, plaque-fighting compounds. I just saw a toothpaste that says it, it fights tartar. That was news to me that tartar sauce is bad for your teeth. And I like tartar sauce. Sorry, it's a stupid joke. Anyway, speaking of complex or complicated, how about finances? How about investments? When Beck and I were first married and dual income, making a little bit of extra money, I sat in on some classes that a friend was offering, some finance classes. I thought the dude was speaking a different language, maybe speaking in tongues. CDs, money markets, mutual funds, stock options, commodities, bonds, private equities, and cash value life insurance options that are tax deferred. Excuse me? I just want this this little bit of money that I have right now in life to be a lot more money later on in life. Is that possible? Can you do that for me? And then there's healthcare. I just recently shopped our church's healthcare plan, and I feel like that there should be a name or a title for the disease you get when you have to do that. 
I didn't know you need a PhD in three-letter acronyms to make sense of this world. ACA, FSO, EPO, PPO, HMO, HSA, OMG. See, there are a lot of things in life, in fact, most things in life, that just turn out to get complicated. And that can actually be true for, that can carry over into Christianity. See, it's one thing to be overwhelmed by all the toothpaste options at the store. We'll go together next time, okay? We'll support each other and help one another out. It's one thing to be overwhelmed by all that. It's another to be baffled by the Bible. It's another to be confused by the message of Christianity. See, this book, this story, the truths that are laid out for us in this book, they are, they are designed and intended to be read and understood and comprehended and even shared and taught by, by the most basic of people, by the average Joe person. It says that average, untrained, unschooled fishermen were the very first teachers of this book. It should be easy to get. And yet, for a lot of different reasons, it turns out to be pretty complicated, and so complex that the average person inside the church, let alone outside the church, doesn't really even get it or want to get it. Everything from science to the Holy Spirit, from evolution to the end times, from personal political views to what your preacher or, or professor said back in the day, all of it can just make this message so complex, so complicated. It can make Christianity sound like a crash course in finances or healthcare. I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth right now. And this is not a new dynamic for God's people. God's people, for one reason or another, have always excelled at complicating this message. They've always excelled at taking the message that's designed to draw you into God, draw you closer to God, and use it to drive people away from God. In the first century, there was two groups of religious leaders. Nathan talked about one last week. There was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We'll call them the, the pastors and the PhDs of the day, Jesus' day. And they loved to debate and argue over these laws and over God's word. And they would literally spend all day every day out on the street corner and in the marketplace, and they would just have debates over what God meant and what God said and what it meant for us. But here's what they did. They took the Ten Commandments and they turned them into 613 commandments. You thought keeping the 10 was hard. But they said that all of them were of equal weight and importance because they all pointed back to the 10. They took this one book, and I kid you not, they wrote 400 sets of Encyclopedia Britannica's worth of books. Okay, youth, an Encyclopedia Britannica is, um, <laughs> it's a printed book. How should I say it? It's actually... Uh, like the really old, really decrepit, really lame great-grandpa of Google. Got it? Okay, we're all on the same page. Okay. Think about that, though, church. From 10 laws to 613 laws. From one book to thousands of books. From something that was, that was easy to understand, that was simple, something that was complicated and nearly impossible to understand. And that's why Jesus rebuked these leaders so many times. Because they took knowing God, something that should be easy to do and simple to understand, they took this one thing and they made it so complicated and so complex and so convoluted that the average Joe person couldn't do it anymore. But not Jesus, not Jesus. He was so different. I mean, from his stories to his teachings to the answers that he gave to these really seemingly impossible questions, he always kept things simple, didn't he? He always shortened to the point. In fact, when he was asked to summarize all 613 laws, what's most important to you, Jesus? 
talk about this, this list of commentaries or this set of commentaries that was out there about God's word. What, what would you have to say about it? What do you have to add to it, Jesus? Remember what he did? He didn't add another 600 laws. He didn't write another set of encyclopedias. He summarized everything, the entirety of everything God has ever said in a handful of words. What are they? Love God, love others. That's it. No extra laws, no extra books. Keep it simple. Summarize the whole thing quickly and easily and effectively. So the question I have for you, church, is could you do that? Could I do that? If I were to go and ask you, better yet, if a, a neighbor or a coworker or a friend or a classmate were to come and ask you to summarize Christianity, to explain what this thing is all about, to explain or give a reason for why you believe in Jesus, could you do it? And could you do it in a handful of words? Could you explain the entire Bible, the entire Christian worldview, could you explain all of it in a handful of words? Could you explain it in such a way where people walk away getting it? I get it, as opposed to just getting frustrated or confused by it. Because I've heard far too many believers stumble through and make a mess of this thing. Well, you see, it all starts with Adam and Eve, who actually totally messed up back in the garden and whose kids turned out to be a real handful. Then a guy named Noah built a boat, even though he didn't know what a boat was. And after that, God's people, who were called the Israelites, because a guy named Jacob, whose dad was Isaac and whose grandpa was Abraham, formerly known as Abram, well, he changed his name to Israel. Well, those 12 children became the 12 tribes of Israel. They ended up as slaves in Egypt because the Pharaoh forgot about Moses. Oh, Moses was like this, this prince of Egypt. Great movie, by the way. And you know, then they had to leave, and they forgot, and they were slaves. Oh, I gotta tell you about the Tower of Babel, though. I forgot about the Tower of Babel, where he Humanity thought they were more important than God, so God distributed them all over the world. That's why we have different cultures and different languages. Back to the story, King David, whoo, shepherd king, loved the Lord, but also loved the ladies. You know what I'm talking about? No, we don't know what you're talking about. Huh? How could anybody know what you're talking about? You're like the, the, the Pharisees or the Sadducees of old. You've made everything of equal importance, so nothing is all that important. Nothing makes sense to me now. You've confused me. I love what Albert Einstein once said. If you can't explain it to a six-year-old, then you don't understand it yourself. You truly don't understand it yourself. And so our hope for the next few weeks is to teach you how to do that, how to explain this great story, not only to a six-year-old, but how to explain it to your non-believing neighbor to your non-believing family member, your classmate, friend, whoever it might be, to be able to explain it to somebody. I want to show you, you can summarize all of Christianity in seven words. You can say everything there is to say in seven words. Now, I know that sounds a little crazy, a little odd, because it doesn't seem like you can say a whole lot in seven words, but, but I want you to stop and really think about that. There's a lot you can say in seven words. I want you to be my wife. That's pretty big. Your cancer is stage four and terminal. That's pretty big. I'll take another piece of cheesecake, please. That's pretty big, right? You can even say it in six. Don't even say please. See, seven is actually a word in ancient Hebrew culture, ancient Hebrew literature, that communicates more than just the number seven. The number seven communicates completeness, wholeness, almost perfection. And so over the next few weeks, I'm going to show you, you can say everything there is to say about Christianity, and thus you can say everything there is to say about life and love, heaven and hell, good and evil, pain and purpose. You can say everything there is to say about everything in seven words. That's it. 
Keep it simple. So simple, you can explain it and maybe share it and teach it to somebody else. So we're not going to call it Bible for Dummies because they already have that title. We're going to call it Simply Seven. And this morning, I want to jump into the first word with you, Creator. I read a crazy story this past week that really grabbed my attention given that we spent about seven or eight years out in L.A., In January of 1994, many of you know this, a huge earthquake hit the San Fernando Valley. Uh, In addition to causing millions of dollars in damage, it killed 60 people, and it knocked out the power in the L.A. area for an extended period of time. Well, well, one night, several nights into the the power outage, the Griffith Observatory, an amazing place in L.A., one of my favorite, in fact. You ever go there, visit the Griffith Observatory? Well, they started getting a bunch of calls from the locals. It was from panicked citizens reporting a very strange sky. Talked about weird lights, this silver cloud hovering over the city. People were honestly and truly scared that something horrible had happened to the sky as a result of the earthquake. Well, after some time, the director of the observatory realized what was going on. See, all the lights in L.A. were out, maybe for the first time in all of history. And with all the lights off, the people in L.A. were able to look up into the sky and guess what they saw? The Milky Way. They saw the stars and they saw the Milky Way. And they thought something was wrong. (laughs) But that's what you're supposed to see back there. Behind all the smog, all the fog, with all the lights turned off, they were able to see what was truly behind everything else. And this, to me, perfectly summarizes our culture and our world. This is what happens to those in our world who don't believe in a creator. So many people don't realize that behind everything in this world, behind everything in this galaxy, if you were to pull back the smog and the fog and all the lights and all the noise, pull it all back, bad religion, bad science, bad philosophy, a bad experience in church, pull it all back, and behind it all, you will see something. You'll actually see someone. You will see the Lord. He is behind everything. If you could just see behind it all, you would see this beautiful, brilliant creator. John 1.3 tells us this. God created everything through Jesus, and nothing, nothing was created except through him. You can't say it more clearly than that. Behind it all, there is a creator. Everybody say, creator. If you take a look around this room, let's do this for a second, and let's just, let's just do this you know, honestly and with an open mind, but if you look at everything in this room, from this candle, from this extra microphone, to these things over here, I don't even know what this thing does right here, but everything in this room, everything was created somewhere by someone to do something. It is true for everything in this room. Nothing in this room just accidentally showed up just accidentally fell into place, just accidentally came into being. It was all made somewhere by someone to do something. Everything can be traced back to a designer. Nothing in this room just magically appeared or appeared out of thin air. Everything was formed and fashioned on purpose by a person. And so when we read John 3 or chapter 1, verse 3, What the author's trying to tell us is what's true for us in this room, that everything here was made by someone to do something. It can be traced back to an origin, to a creator. What's true in this room is true in the entire universe. It's true for everything in the universe, but now get this, it's true for everyone in the universe. God is the one who caused and created everything and everyone to exist. He's the reason there is a world. 
He's the reason the world is the way it is, and he's the reason you are in this world. Now, I could go all scientific on you, throw out all kinds of crazy stats and arguments and philosophical premises to, to argue for the existence of God, to show you why it's reasonable, more reasonable to believe in the existence of an intelligent designer and that God is the start of all things, but I don't want to confuse it. Simply seven. Keep it simple. That's what the author of Genesis does. The beginning of the story tells about the beginning of the world. Here's how it happened. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of those waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. A very literal, very basic translation of this passage would read like this. In the beginning, way back when... We're not given a specific date. We're not given a specific time. You don't need to concern yourself with 4,000 years or 40 million years. Way back when God created the heavens and the earth. Way back when God made everything that's up there and everything that's down here. Pretty simple. In the beginning, way back when God made the heavens and the earth, God made everything up there and everything down here. Everything exists not because of some giant cosmic accident. Not because of some giant bang. Not because enough time elapsed so that cells could mutate and morph just right to create life as we know it. We're here not because we're the shrapnel from some war the gods are having in some other upper echelon. Those are all worldviews that are available to you, but those are not true. Everything on this earth is here, including you, because God wants that to be true. Everything is here because God created it. He's the beginning. He's the source. And one of my favorite parts about how it all came into being is kind of how God did it, the way in which he chose to make all things. How many parents in here have ever had to employ the because I said so argument? Anybody? Thank you, Will. I try to give my kids a deeper answer to the questions they ask. There was one time where Bailey, our oldest, was just, you know, asking all these crazy questions and it just got me so frustrated. Someone, because I said so. That's why. End of argument. That's enough reason, is it not? And at first I felt a little embarrassed giving that argument, but you know what? God gives that argument. That's what Genesis 1 tells us. Why is there an earth? Because God said so. Because he said so. He literally spoke it into being. Think of it in terms of a song or a speech. Right? Nothing exists until the, the creator, till the musician, till the artist begins to speak. And as soon as he or she begins to speak, something is created that was not there before. And God starts speaking, and he makes this beautiful thing called us, called the earth, called the universe. That's why it is here. And the fact that he was speaking it into existence shows he didn't break a sweat. This wasn't hard for him to do. This was not above his pay grade. This came easy to him. This came very easy. Now, if you want to learn more about creation and science, if you want to see how, how the scientific world actually partners beautifully with the biblical narrative, if you want to know how you can explain your faith using science, if, that, if that's important to you, apologetics, philosophy, man, more power to you. I'm not going to get into that this morning, but here's some resources for you. I've got some light reading if you're interested in that stuff. Case for a Creator by Lee Strobel. Great arguments for why it makes sense to believe in God. Another great book is called The Lost World of Genesis 1. Incredible look at how Genesis explains our world and how our world um, reiterates that explanation. And then I would encourage you to read anything and everything by a man named William Lane Craig. Man has two PhDs. Need I say more? And he still believes in Jesus. 
but he runs the Talbot School of Ministry in LA at Biola. He is so smart. And every article, every blog, every book he's ever written, blow your mind. You are not an idiot if you believe in a creator. In fact, you are looking at all the evidence and you are making the most logical conclusion that there is, that there is a beautiful creator. And I don't want to get into a whole lot of that stuff, but I want to finish the last few minutes together by talking about why this one single word matters, why creator means and matters so much. See, when you say that word, when you believe that to be true, when creator is the beginning of the story for you, then so many other things are going to be true for you as well. So many other things are going to be part of the story for you. And again, Genesis tells us what that is. Look back at the text. Way back when, God made everything up there and everything down here. You see, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of those waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, there's a phrase here for the description of what the world was like, either right after God made it or before he made it, but in that, in that kind of in-between time, there's a phrase here. It's called tohu vabohu. Everybody say tohu vabohu. Okay, now say it like you're alive. Tohu vabohu. Okay, not bad. A little bit harder than creator, but we'll get there. Tohu vabohu means empty, dark, chaotic, and formless. So what the author of Genesis is saying here is that God made everything up there and everything down there, and without God around, everything is tohu vabohu. See, everything is, is empty and dark and formless and chaotic. That's how it is. And everything would always continue to be that way. And everything would revert back to being tohu vabohu unless something happened. Unless someone stepped in and made it different. And that's, that's what we read in this story. See, this is the problem here, church. Nothingness always creates and causes more nothingness. That's the problem with it. That's the problem with chaos. It only creates and results in more of itself, in more chaos. That's the problem with immaterial things, right? Or, or only purely material things. They only create themselves. They can only create what they are. So it's crazy to me to think that a dark, empty, formless, chaotic universe, what it is, magically created all that we have around us. It's impossible. Nothing creates nothing. Chaos creates chaos. Darkness creates darkness. Tohu vabohu is what it is, and it will always be that way, and it will always continue to be that way unless something steps in. One of my problems with the atheistic worldview is that it claims nothing made everything, chaos made order, non-life made life, and emptiness made meaning. That tohu vabohu made me. I just don't think tohu vabohu could do that. It's just not strong enough. You need someone who's much stronger. You need someone who has all these other qualities inside of them to then share and create and, and put these qualities into something else. You with me? That's where the Lord steps in. The Lord is life. So when the Lord creates something, he creates it so it has life. That's logical to us. The Lord is light. So when he creates something, he creates it, and it is filled with light. The Lord is love. So when he creates something, he's able to put love inside of it. The Lord is beautiful. So when he creates something, he's able to make something beautiful. It's not tohu vabohu into beauty. That doesn't make any sense at all. That can't happen. It's God into something beautiful. Now that makes sense. He's able to do that. Tohu vabohu cannot do that. So things are here not because they magically sprang out of nothingness, 
Which, by the way, if the entire universe just sprang out of nothingness, I want it to do that more often. I want other things to just suddenly appear. Like right now, double, double, animal-style In-N-Out Burger here. Now, universe, do it. Come on. If we're going to create something out of nothing, let's go big. If you never had a double, double, animal-style, your life is not the same until you do that, and then after it's different. But you see, it didn't come out of nothingness. It came because there was a creator who wanted and decided for them to be here. Without God, things are always tohu vabohu. Tohu vabohu cannot change itself. It must have something greater than itself come in and change it. You with me? Everything was, was tohu vabohu, but then the Lord came. And then the spirit of the Lord started hovering over the tohu vabohu. And then the Lord spoke into the tohu vabohu. And this is a great story. Like it's a great poem, even if you read it in that original language. It was all tohu vabohu and would have always been. But then the Lord came and spoke light into it. When God shows up, he brings what only he can bring, life and order and beauty and peace and purpose. He imparts his qualities. He imparts his characteristics into that which he creates. And that's why he calls it good. That's why he calls it so, so good. Do you know how many times God calls creation good after he makes a certain thing throughout the Genesis narrative? Take a random guess. Take a random guess. How many times does God say, this is so good? Seven, she's so smart. What do we know about the number Seven. It's not just a number, but it means completeness. It means wholeness. When he made everything there was that has ever been made, he said, that is so good, that is so complete, that is so full of potential. That's the way I want it to be. That is so good. You ever had a really cold drink on a really hot day? You ever had a really hot shower after working your tail off in the yard all day long? You ever heard a joke that's just so funny your whole body laughs? That's how God felt when he made the universe. That's the emotion he was experiencing when he created you. Oh, this is so, so good. So good. And what I want you to see as we end here is that what's true for the universe as a whole, it's true for you. Don't just hear all these truths that apply to the beginning of life itself. These apply to your life. Not only was the universe handcrafted by God, so were you. Not only does the universe have purpose and meaning, so do you. Not only does the universe have worth and value, so do you. Not only is the universe stocked full of God's life and goodness and beauty and power, so are you. What's true for everything out there is true for everyone in here. It's true for you. You were made on purpose for a purpose. You are not an accident. You do not just magically pop out a tohu vabohu. You are here because someone, somewhere, has something for you to do. But now I'm getting ahead of myself. That's word six. See, if you came from tohu vabohu, if you came from nothingness, then all of your life would be defined by that word. Your worth, your value, it's nothing. Your purpose, your calling, it's nothing. Where are you going? It's nothing. Tohu vabohu creates more of itself. But the fact is you came from a creator who's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, life-giving. Those words describe you. Those words are part of your story. So now those words describe your value, your worth, and your destiny. Let me close with this quote. It says, in the end, science in an atheistic worldview do not provide the answers that we need or require. Its story of our origins and our end is to say, at the very least, it's just unsatisfactory. 
To the question, how did it all begin? Atheists answer, probably by accident. To the question, why am I here? Atheists answer, probably by accident. To the question, how is it all going to end? Atheists answer, probably by accident. And to many, and myself included, church, the accidental life is not worth living. You are not an accident. This universe is not here by chance. Everything is the way it is, not because of coincidence. It's because of a creator. Everybody say, creator. Accidents don't have inherent value. Accidents don't serve any great purpose. Accidents don't deserve to be loved. And accidents don't deserve for Jesus Christ to come to this earth and die a horrific death on a cross. If you're an accident, I keep my one and only son in heaven. But if you are my beloved, if you're something I handcrafted, something that I value more than any other, then I'll send Jesus to die for you with me. You are not an accident. This universe is not an accident. Don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. It all begins and it all comes back to creator. Say it again, creator. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your story. We thank you that the beginning of origin, the beginning of time, the beginning of the world, the beginning of all universe can be summarized in one word, creator. Help us to keep it that simple. Oh, we can get it a lot more complex and have debates and arguments and discussions over these things. But everything in this room was created somewhere by someone to do something. And it's foolish for us to think that we are any different or that the universe as a whole is any different. You made it. You love it. You have a reason for it. You have a purpose for it. And so we're just, we're just thankful for that. We're not an accident, God. And we pray that this week we will share this amazing news with those we come into contact with. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, have an amazing week. On your way out, I'm going to have some cards for you summarizing this word. Each week, we're going to give you a little card. So grab a creator card on your way out. Talk about it with your family. Teach your kids this stuff. Uh, Come back next week. We'll continue the Simply 7. God bless you.